if you're now finding that you're looking for something else, here's a path to the next level. When you walk up and down the street with your cane, would you, would you get a monocle and a top hat at least? To do I have one now. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a kit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. We don't pay attention to it when we I know. Well, jo- Joe and I usually trade insults, but it's all good. Yeah, where is our buddy? You're listening to The Crossing Gate, the official podcast of the Twin Cities Division of the National Model Railroad Association. The topics and discussions are about the world's greatest hobby, model railroading. Here are your hosts, Thomas Gazier and Ken Zeska. This episode of the Crossing Gate podcast is brought to you by the X2F coupler, or better known as the what was the NMRA thinking back then coupler. Yes, the not-so-popular horn hook coupler that was designed by a committee, no doubt. This coupler, along with hydrogen-filled blimps and the Edsel, is one of the 20th century's worst ideas brought to life. We can only imagine what the X1A looked like. The good thing is that this coupler has been teaching new model railroaders how to change couplers since its inception. Filling landfills since the 50s. Its only claim to fame is that it still works better than a sergeant coupler. Yes, the X2F has been making all the other decisions by the NMRA seem like rocket science. It was advertised as the universal coupler, and it was. It was a universally hated coupler. Everyone could agree on that. We here at the Crossing Gate would like the design team to actually fess up and declare that they were joking. Or at the very least, declare they were drinking a lot, a lot of Ensign Morgan. So next time you see a X2F coupler in action, thank that 1950s NMRA committee and realize that no good deed goes unpunished. Remember, folks, a camel is just a horse that was designed by a committee. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Crossing Gate. Today, I'm joined by Joe Binish. Good evening. David Hamilton. Hello. Mike Jordan. Hello. And I'm your host, Thomas Gazier, and we are going to discuss passenger train operations, the good, the bad, and indifferent, and who uses them, and how we have run them on other people's layouts for operations and not just a scenery train. And I'll hand this off to you, Joe, because you actually run passenger trains in your sessions. So tell us how you created those and what you like about them. All right. Well, I again, I run a road of lies, although I do have some MNCNL <laughs> stuff on here. You know, back before I started building my layout and I was looking for freight car information and, and just general railroad information in one of the old real model journals, there was a story and it was set up with pictures of uh, model trains as the Canadian uh, CP rail swapped out their Canadian at some spot in Canada where they took two trains and made them into three or three into two. And I thought that was really cool. And, you know, because the power would pull in with the train, they do a station stop, and then the power would cut off. And here come these two switchers. And they shuffled the cars around and made the cars into the correct consist. And then off they went. So I thought that was kind of neat. So when I was designing the central of Minnesota, I fit that in where we have a train come from 
Peoria and going up to Winnipeg. Yeah, I know it's a weird place to go from one to the other, but that's just the way it is <laughs> on central Minnesota. There's a connection point to St. Paul. We have a train come over from St. Paul pulling a sleeper, a couple of coaches, and then the train comes from either Peoria or uh, Winnipeg, and they do some work and change the concepts of the train, and off everybody goes. Well, that wasn't enough, so I've since added the train that has connections to Houston, and it does the same thing. It drops a sleeper or drops a coach kind of on my whim, so I need to tune it a little bit tighter so that I have more realistic operations. But then I also have added a milk train that has a uh, a coach on it for if Mrs. Benish ever lets me expand into the other part of the basement, I'll add a creamery. I have a mail train, and that's interesting because virtually every package in the 50s moved by train. If you ordered something from New York or wherever, or General Electric for a new washer dryer or whatever, a lot of times it would come by train, or most of the time it would come by train, kind of like the UPS or Amazon now. I added those in there. I've got some cars I want to add to make the train function a little better. Right now, it's just kind of scenery. So even though you have a smaller station, I mean, you don't, you don't have... You're not modeling the Great Northern Union Station or St. Paul. You're still swapping out cars, coaches, you yes. said, and sleepers. And yep. do you swap out any diners or anything like that? Or uh, any I have uh, in the past, but I just, I don't know, I've gotten lazy and haven't been doing that. The interesting thing is, is that the prototypes would swap out diners because they didn't want to send those, those crews in that car along when they weren't going to be actually using them. So in the middle of the night, they make cut the diner off in the evening and then put a new one on somewhere else if it's a long distance train in the morning so that people could get breakfast i have done that a few times one of my trains has a diner on it yeah i know you're, i think you mentioned that that place is sudbury i believe ontario yes. yep. and they'd split the canadian to the toronto section and the montreal section yeah and I, so i saw somebody had modeled that and you know here come the fp7s then they, you know, the two trains would come in, do their station stop, and then here come a couple of S2s, and they're making three trains out of two or two out of one, whatever it was. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. That is cool. Places like that, like Ogden and things. The changing out of the diner. Now, you're modeling an era where there were still Pullmans, like Pullman owned the cars, so the diners would be railroad owned. Is that what you're saying? Yes. So we took a Bachman heavyweight diner and uh, cut sides off, and a friend of mine, John Bratt, took some plexiglass that uh, another buddy, Doug, had made wheel or truck cutouts for in the side sill. And then we made a modernized heavyweight uh, diner out of it. So it was pretty cool. It worked out pretty nice. So I was able to use the interior from the Bachman car, but it has the, the streamlined uh, sides on it and the very attractive central Minnesota gray and purple okay. uh, scheme on it. Does your mail train... Because I know most mail trains by that time, they had what what I would term a rider coach, or does it even have Pullmans or sleepers on there? Um, I don't. It's just not even because I figured that the milk train would do all the pickups of passengers along the way on that route. They won the lottery again. Yeah, um, that wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> so we, it does, that, the, the milk train has a rider coach, but the mail train does not. The mail train does not. Okay, so the, the things like that. Well, that's kind of neat operations. We'll go to Dave. The land of the queue has all these Zephyrs. And now I think you're starting to incorporate some of the Zephyrs in the Twin City Chicago run there. There's always been a certain amount of pressure from the guys that come over here to operate about, you know, how come you have know, got these units sitting there? How come I'm not running any passenger trains? I actually had a couple Burlington passenger cars. And so a, a little mini Zephyr 
like morning Zephyr or afternoon Zephyr started to, you know, show signs of metamorphosis and started appearing in the staging yard. And then I decided that, you know, I'm going to bump this railroad up from 1969 to like 1970 or 71. And then I thought, well, you know what, if I do that, it was really more of a combined train. So there'd be some you know, Zephyr car, you know, the silver Burlington cars and maybe a great northern empire builder car or two and a couple northern Pacific cars and uh, maybe even a Burlington northern hockey stick passenger car if I can find one. So it's going to kind of turn into a, a rainbow train. And what we're thinking of doing is running like one session, it'll be the morning Zephyr and then another session will be the afternoon's Zephyr. So it's basically going to be a, a a, a rainbow train because of the fact that Amtrak is about to make its appearance and, you know, the passenger traffic was bleeding off anyway. So it's justifiable to have a six or eight car train in lots of different colors. So I'm sure the purists will go crazy, but, you know, such is life. At least it gives me a chance to use the E-units. You know, everything will stop in lacrosse, and that's why I'm building this new lacrosse depot built, you know, from the floor plans of the depot that existed in La Crosse between 1939 and 1972 or 73 or 74 when they actually tore it down. At that point, everything switched over to the Milwaukee Road right away. Anyway, big thing is going to be, are we just going to stop in La Crosse? So the train comes out of staging, stops in La Crosse, and then you have a flag stop like in East Dubuque or Prairie du Chien or Cassville, which is realistic because you, know, you can see that on the timetable. This is 70s passenger trains, not the, the high-speed varnish of the years prior to that. But I think I can pull it off you know, and just have one passenger train alter its direction every other session, and it'll have two locomotives on it, elephant-style six or eight cars. I don't have enough staging tracks. You know, I've only got eight staging tracks and that's part of the problem. You know, if you, if there was more place to store more passenger trains and you could get a little bit more serious about it. And they didn't drop cars to my knowledge. You know, they weren't switching out diners and lacrosse or anything like that. At this stage, I'm not going to try doing any fancy switching. It's going to just originate in staging, terminate in staging, run around the railroad once and that'll be it for the session. You know, that's hey, kind Dave, of, yeah. Have you taken the uh, big sky blue pledge? <laughs> you know, I actually have one that um, <laughs> our friend Mike brought. He saw it at a flea market. So I bought, you know, I've, I'm, I'm doing a good job here of getting like, you know, <laughs> they're like baseball cards. You got to get one of each, you know? Yeah. So, it, and I, I don't dislike the big sky blue. I know I've now lost a lot of points with many people, but, you know, but it's okay to have one. I mean, it's, it's okay. Well, you need that for the rainbow builder. And that's what I, I always termed it was the rainbow builder. And that was, that was my favorite Burlington or Amtrak train. I actually had a model of one for free mode. I wish you, I wish I knew you were looking for it. I think I sold it to AJ because I think at that time, all of the super domes, yeah. I know the great domes were big sky blue and one was in a hockey stick. So let's go back to, you said, the flag stop, and you modeled that thing. How would you tell the person running the passenger train that they got to stop at Cassville and, and, you know, pull the coaches up to that? Would there, would you, would you physically put something at the Cassville depot and not tell that operator till they showed up? Or Yeah, I think I would physically, you know, I've got a, a bunch of 
little HO people, and why not just have them all standing on the platform, three or four people with a suitcase or two, you know, or a luggage cart with some stuff on it. I think that would work out really well because I actually, I have a something that can double as a depot in Cassville. East Dubuque is no problem at all. Prairie du Chien, I have a passenger, like, a, I don't know what do you call those little canopy shed looking things, you know, that, that sits there. No, platform. platform, there you no. go. You know, and it lacrosse is, is a scheduled stop, so that's no problem at all, you know, for the, the stop in lacrosse. And, you know, it's neat. I have a, like when I started building this depot, one of the pictures that I found on the Internet shows the lacrosse. No, it's actually on a postcard that I bought. It shows this lacrosse Art Deco depot with a Northern Pacific dome car that you can see in the postcard. I've got a little bit of documentation to know what I'm doing is logical. That'd be kind of neat to put the people on like a, you know, a clear acrylic. And when you yeah. wanted to stop, you could place them on there. What would they actually do to flag down the train? How would the Zephyr coming in there know? Maybe maybe by your modeling 6970, they'd radio it. Yeah, you know? that's what I would think. But if a flag startup, I would think there'd be no agent because they're not buying right. tickets. So how would yep. they tell the crew that we're, we're getting on? How, how are you going to model that aspect? Well, I don't I don't think we can put torpedoes on the track on either side of the, the <laughs> depot. That wouldn't go over too well, so we're not going to do that. You know, Have that, you talked I'm, to Karen yet about that yet? Yeah, because I, I mean, think she'd be good for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll talk to her about it. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put that on the Skin top of the list. There you go. Yeah. But I, th I think between, you know, we have a, a mutual friend, Mike Lustig, you know, that worked for Amtrak for 350 years or so. And he, he knows all there is to know about everything passenger train related. So I can get the details from him, you know, how it would have been handled. We do have a couple local passenger car experts. So it would be easy enough to research it without having to really research it and say. He's not an expert. He's a savant. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. But that'd be kind of interesting. Like what, you know, when you came up to one of these little bus shelters, yeah, and you wanted to get on there. I mean, was there a flag in there that people, you know, stuck in a flag holder that was red or something, and the crew had to put up? You know, I'd, I'd like to know that of exactly how did you flag down a zephyr? Yeah. yeah, it's it's easy enough if you're on the train and you want to get off because then you'd notify the the conductor and he would, you know, let the engineer know that hey, we're going to be stopping at Prairie Duchene for for eighty seven seconds to let somebody off the train. Yeah, you know, and so that part, no problem. But to get on, right, how did they do that? So that's what, you know, we'll check with Mike and see what he says. Or Randy, you know, again, one of our local passenger train experts. So it shouldn't be, you know, stay tuned for further information. Yeah, because that would add some operations to uh, and otherwise what I mostly call passenger trains are scenery trains. You know, yeah. unit unit trains and passenger, they just go through the layout. I call them scenery trains. But I would think if you did that each session and mixed it up on, Make sure you look for the flags. Yep. You know, and then while they, they're running, you as the train master, just keep an eye on them to see if they stop. You know, it's like yeah. you just left 10 people back there. Ah, uh, demerits. Yeah. I love demerits. Demerits, yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, I think there's some potential to it. And they, the fact, you know, now that I've actually, you know, during the session, last few sessions we've had here, it's kind of neat watching this train snake itself through the railroad because it's, you know, that's it, the other thing that people who don't haven't seen passenger trains, they're really cool. 
because like yeah. they said they snake through the layout and they've got the cool streamlined power and all that kind of stuff so there's and there's a lot of history and and you can see the progression if you look for it of how the cars evolved and the trains evolved it's really cool well they're a lot more colorful yes know? yep Especially yep. when you have FM units painted purple, right, Joe? That's just hey, you know, not everybody's man enough to do that Tom. <laughs> on their <laughs> railroad of lies. So exactly. So yeah, no, that's kind of cool, Dave. I want I want to hear more about how that flag stop comes in because that's that's a great opportunity to add that to that. And I'll go to you, Mike, and you and I, the two here. We don't operate passenger trains, but we've operated on layouts with them. What have you seen that's good or bad? You know, on based on Mark Amfars or even Mike Mayer's amazing New York Central layout. What do you like about it? Yeah, I want to touch on something uh, with Dave first. Sure. Is uh, when I was 11 years old, I'd ride my bike down to the Northern Pacific Depot, and for 75 cents, I could take the morning milk train out to my grandmother's place, Mackenzie, North Dakota. For 75 cents, I could ride the train out. It was about 35 miles from Mandan and McKenzie. It did have a station agent, but he left about four in the afternoon. And the return milk train came about five. Mm -hmm. So as an 11-year-old kid, I'd walk down to the depot, and they had a semaphore out front and a long rope attached to it, and I would unhook the rope from the lower hook and then move it to the upper hook oh, and that brother. semaphore would drop the train would come in and stop conductor would get out and change the semaphore and i'd get on the train ride home so all right mike i have a question for you yeah. how did how did you learn to do that was it just tribal knowledge that got passed on or did the conductor give you a tutorial on how to do that if you will yeah yeah, the conductor, he told me what to do. And okay. then when I got there in the morning, the agent was on duty. Sure. And so there was a little knowledge passed amongst the agent and the conductor and myself. And the agent knew that I was visiting Grandma Julia and, you know, that the train was going to come back. And so they all conferred with me to make sure that, you know, I was on the platform when the train came back. Some days it didn't rush back. <laughs> you, you spend a lot of time on the platform. So when so when you were 11 getting on this train, did you have to help put wood in the tender? <laughs> mean. Oh, wait, that's, that's on line. Yeah, no, that, that was for the younger passenger. Okay. <laughs> I wonder if that semaphore would be connected to the ABS system. Where, you know, if you, you drop it down, if that sent a signal to the previous where that train's coming from block, yeah. then all of a sudden he goes, well, I'm not running on greens anymore. What the heck? So I don't know yeah, if that even be hooked in or they just had to look for it. I You know, this is 1957. Yeah. So I'm sure that they must have changed the signals on either side of the station to red because yeah. that was one of the things that the agent was very particular about is that I didn't come down at two and change the signal and here comes the crack uh, Main Streeter zipping along and lock up his brakes and freight train yeah because I wonder so, if it'd be, if it'd be like a train order signal but that's kind of interesting that's too many questions we have cool yeah but the running of trains on layouts I think 
Joe or was it Dave that said snaking through the layout? And oh, that yeah. really does is very descriptive. And the other thing I like about it is, is that if you do have a large enough layout and you send out a local or two, they have to know to clear the main so that this passenger train can come through. So it kind of disrupts your thought process and you have to make sure you're clear. And, you know, cause more than once I switched out a small town and had cars scattered all over. And then all of a sudden you go, Oh crap. And then you have to gather them all up, <laughs> get into a siding and then figure out how to get back to where you were. So, you know, that's the fun part. And the other I part that, that I think doesn't get modeled is larger stations is the support for passenger trains. They had the commissary, they had the express freight, uh, the post office, all these things, you know, work towards passenger trains. So, uh, you know, there is some switching that could be involved in a larger layout passenger area. Yeah. I, well, that would attract me would be the mail mail trains and the head end things. I think Mike, our local friend, Mike Mayer, we'll have to get him on the podcast, does that so yeah. well when he models a huge station in Albany, New York at the very end of the New York Central passenger era. And only one train, the 20th century is the only one that's not touched, <laughs> which, which, you know, basically that's what happened. They were cutting them up and make some, trying to save money. We're going to combine this and put these cars. That's just fascinating to me. But like you guys said, it takes up a lot of real estate and staging. Hey Tom, yeah, but I've done that. I've done that job on Mike's layout, right? And you keep your filthy hands away from it. <laughs> that, that's yeah. it's a, a fun, fun job. Yeah. And uh, Dave has mentioned um, Randy Nord's layout, and he is building a very, very large layout. The focus of which is going to be the Milwaukee Road Depot in Minneapolis, and he's going to have all that the support stuff and the originating and, and terminating trains. It's going to be really, really fun. So I'm, I'm uh, looking forward to that. He's promised that I get to be the first passenger yard master, but we'll see if he upholds that or not. Will he you be too? having you, the, you too, Joe? Yeah. You yes, too. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I'm worried about. Well, I've got yeah, me too. So through all three of us. Uh, yeah. <laughs> is he looking he'll for have money? The, Maybe you'll have the Rock Island and the Sioux in there, and you can each have a railroad. So yes, the plan. Yeah, actually, I've painted a bunch of cars for both of them, or all three layouts. So yeah, that'll be nice. Yeah, we're looking forward to because it's really. I I wonder why is some of the reasons why people don't do passenger ops. You know, maybe it's the prototype they pick. But like we talked about, the equipment's larger. You need bigger curves. You need more, another staging track. At, you know, on each end, unless you loop it around. I used to like one of the magazines used to do modelable or pocket-sized passenger trains, you know, like the Gopher Badger. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering why more people don't take advantage of that. I think maybe the press were so used to the 18-car city of everywhere. Well, that was oh, the yeah. impetus for my uh, train down to Houston, is there was a picture in Model Railroader of a Rio Grande train, and it was a PA-1 and an FB unit and a coach and a diner and a sleeper. And it was going along somewhere in Colorado, you know, and I thought, oh, that's cool as heck. I should do that. And I just happened to have this FM. So into the grip blast booth, it went and it came out purple and gray. And here we are. Do you think, too, I'm looking at the new manufacturers, Rapido especially, making just these beautiful passenger trains and passenger cars, along with Walters. You know, has any of that, have you guys seen any of those cars? What do you think about their 
look and running ability, or does everyone want brass? No, it's there on the Asprey. Um, <laughs> I really like those cars, and the Walters cars, when they first came out with them, were very affordable. And, you know, they're accurate and, and whatever you want to say, they're great. They're more, significantly more expensive now, which is unfortunate, but quit my whining, right? The Rapido cars are absolutely stunning. And, you know, they all run well. The Walters cars have to be tweaked a little bit, you know, individual ones. But, boy, they've really opened it up. And especially for me, for the heavyweight stuff, the baggage cars and the coaches and, and sleepers, the Pullmans and that kind of thing are just excellent. So I'll go around and ask you guys, what would you tell someone who's building a layout or adding ops and they want to do some passenger operations? So David, I'll ask you, would you find a way just, even if they had a smaller layout, say, add a spur behind the depot and then kind of like what Joe does, swap out a car. Is there any way you you could tell someone to add some interest and then add some operations to it? You know, they, they should certainly consider it, but they have to consider what they really have to consider is how much space do they have. If you've got one of these railroads that has 18 and 22-inch radius turns, curves for the most part, you're not going to have an easy time dragging passenger trains around. There's a lot of things to consider radius-wise, where you're going to store it. If you're going to try to work something in a town like you know picking up a baggage car or whatever, I mean, do you have a house track that can handle it? You're going to add a, you know, a spur right next to the depot. I think it it opens up a whole can of worms and you really have to give it some serious thought. Do it for yourself, but if you want to integrate it, you're going to have to really think about how they're running, how much time they take up, how much space they take up, et cetera. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it just opens up a whole new window of, of things that, that you have to think about, really. Mike, what would you say to someone operational-wise? How would you tell them, hey, here's a simple thing to do? I think, do you have the curves to run a passenger car? I mean, one of those ask me how I know things is I bought the Daylight locomotive tender and about eight cars. And the guy was fire sailing them for a hundred bucks and I just couldn't turn them down. Well, they don't go around my 18 inch radius curves. The locomotive lives up at Tom Hokinson's house and cars have been languishing in my blue tub for (laughs) over 20 years. So I'm just looking for someone that models a Southern Pacific. And I can only build so many maintenance of the way sheds out of (laughs) (laughs) passenger cars. Yeah. That's the best use of them. I know a guy who's an SP modeler who wants to model, uh, El Paso. So we can, we can, uh, you guys can probably work a deal. Welcome to yeah, the crossing gate flea market. So it's exactly. <laughs> yeah, this is a pre 1935 daylight. It's the old Harriman heavyweights. And He's a slobbering uh, Santa Fe or Southern Pacific freak. So he'll be okay. I'll let I, you know. Is so, that different from a slobbering Pensa freak? Or is that just... Yes. Yes. I think space is probably the first thing is, is your railroad big enough yep. but then having said that ed petrie models the sierra railroad and they made special passenger cars for that railroad and i don't think the cars are 36 feet long and it's a <laughs> rpo combine passenger car smoker diner sleeper all in one <laughs> car you know? and i like the idea of maybe putting a doodle bug on someone's railroad 
calling it the number one and just irritate everybody that's on the railroad in the middle of their switching. So, so why don't you get invited to the layouts anymore? Okay, no. But, uh, okay, Joe. With yeah, he brings his doodlebug with him. Get out. So we'll talk about doodlebugs, Mr. M and St. L. And so to add ops, I'm just saying if someone had the space and they had the curves, what would you tell them? But didn't the M and St. L drag or pull a boxcar behind their little one-car wonders for some operations or LCL work? They had gas electrics that were later converted to diesel electrics, but they just kept on calling them that. They um, had streamlined coaches behind their quote-unquote heavyweight doodlebugs and then would sometimes throw an express box car behind them and occasionally a stock car behind the uh, the coach as well if they had a, a hot movement of stock to get to market. My friend Doug tells me that they couldn't tell the difference between the passengers and the stock car, so they didn't do it very often, but we'll leave that out of it. The doodlebug is kind of that little local train that comes along and stops everywhere at, at every station, flag stop notwithstanding, and you know does all that mail and LCL work and that kind of thing. So that's a great way to add operation, passenger operation. And you know, they're four axle trucks usually and you know, maybe 80 feet. And so they're perfect for that kind of thing. Could you feasibly add an express car that maybe had to set out and stuff to even add more? Absolutely. Operations? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dave Voss does that on his Cumberland Northern. The quote unquote hot train on the railroad is 402, 405. And it's a doodle bug with, and, you know, occasionally pulls a reefer or it'll pull a coach or whatever, whatever he feels like doing. It makes the rounds twice a day. And, you know, everybody, like you say, has to look out for it. And inevitably one of the coal trains is out there working a mine or something like that, or, putzing along trying to get coal to the marshalling yard and here comes the the doodle bug and he's the coal train has to get the heck out of the way does he do that doodle bug does it do work anywhere on the line yeah yeah besides it, besides stop but i mean you know no no it, it, it like i said it's pulling that reefer or express box car or whatever and that's set off and you know it does an lcl stop at every station and that kind of thing Okay. So it's functioning or doing work all the, all along the, the railroad, not just a streamlined scenery train. I've okay. I've worked that train, and one evening I had to pick up a empty hopper, coal hopper, and deliver it from one town to the next because they were short one hopper car to make up the train. So yeah, he does mix it up. I like the ops. I'll ask you, Mike, and then also Dave this. This doodle bug doing work with the car, not the hopper car, but the express car, have a different waybill and car card so you know that that car can only be picked up by the doodle bug. Sure. So that, okay, so he had that. And then, Mike, how did you know, because that coal car seems so out of the ordinary, how did you know you had to pick that up? Was that just Dave, note from the train master, or was that on your work list? It was, uh, I had a clearance a timetable, and then a note saying that I had to pick up this one particular car on a certain siding and deliver it to the next town. It, it was, I guess, a work order rather than a train order, okay. and it was written out. Yeah, Dave you know. does that a lot with the various trains. He'll give you a written order from the dispatcher or the agent or whatever. You've got to do this. And it's kind of fun. To, well, it's not fun. It's interesting to see <laughs> who the guys are who actually pay attention and do that 
and who the guys aren't, you know, who, who will, Oh, I'm just running this train. I'm just going to go. It's like, no, 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 you got work to do. You have specific things that have to happen. And then back like David, back to this car card would, have you seen where they have special colors that, okay, here's a car I got to pick up and move this box car to the yard, but Oh wait, that's not for me. That's for the passenger. So have you seen that? I can't say that I have, but I'm just sitting here thinking about doing something like that now because, you know, I could easily work that in, assuming something I gave to somebody to sell hasn't sold yet. And it would be easy enough to, <laughs> you know, to drag, to do it with a, a reefer, for instance. I mean, that's it's I'm that's a trouble with this podcast. All of a sudden, I think, why didn't I do that? Now, maybe I should do that. And I, it's making me crazy. So now I have to rethink a few things. But it'd be easy enough to print a card and make it a different color. Tell the guys at the beginning of the session, if you come across any pink cards or green cards, they're going to get special handling. Just don't assume it's the same as every other car card on the railroad. You know, and you just make that part of the briefing in the beginning because you don't know who's going to do what job, you know, when everybody first you know, comes down into the cave and starts milling about. Our, the late Arlen Teetle used to do that with, you know, he'd always have a like a briefing paper or update paper that could read that says, you know, the CNNW did this over here and the track in Mankato has just been serviced or this doodle bug just had a new whatever put in it. So it's easy enough to incorporate something like that into the operation, I would think. But then it's like Joe said, who, who's actually paying attention? You know, you can weed them out that way. But I think, too, it's almost the same as the reefer traffic. And I know, Mike, at the end of your session, you build Old Smoky, but it's all reefers where somebody who's not paying attention would just put all the boxcars and everything else in Santa Maria. And, okay, we're going to drag this down to the SP. And you're like, no, we have this special train. Is that kind of similar, you think? Do you have different car cards or something designated for a specific train? Yes. And even kind of in a similar thing is Gary Friesman has a Amtrak train and he models the air when Amtrak pulled those express box cars. So he has a special movement to add and subtract those cars on his train. You know, it's just one of those instructions that he has on the wall. I think like Dave was talking about, you could make a pink, blue, green card. And when you did your uh, speech before the session, you could just tell them, you know, these colored cars are either for passenger trains or fast freights, and the locals didn't handle them. I like that. I like that Amtrak because you triggered my mind that even in the Amtrak era of two F-40s and eight Superliners, they had those express cars for a while, and they had road railers for a while. Yeah, Because I remember even here in the Twin Cities that the Amtrak depot was on the Minnesota commercial, one of their little industrial short lines, and they worked that train. The Empire Builder, they'd work the, you know, the, the tail end of the train, putting those cars on and off. And I think that's a genius way to do it, even with your squeezed from the tube superliner train. Yeah. If you could come up with that era of the express boxcars. I still see them in freight service, so they're lasting all around. And even the road railers. You can do that type of thing and have switching even to that point. And another one I was thinking about, too, I've, I've seen this in prototype magazines, and it took me a while to figure out what it was. And I think till I actually worked for a real railroad. But they show a picture of a passenger engine all by itself at some one of the stations. 
And they said, well, this is protection power for number seven or the, the cardinal or whatever. I'm like, well, what's protection power? And now working for a road and knowing sometimes the power is not so reliable. Do you think that would be LSU joke? Would you think that'd be a viable thing to have where the train from Winnipeg pulls into Minneapolis and the engines, the guy, the, the crew just says, these, these can't go any farther. We're going to have to swap them out, especially in your steam to diesel transition. Would you have protection power? I can buy some more engines. Yes. <laughs> New shiny ones to replace those, those, you know, the ones with all the wheels turning on them. Now. The Excellent. Shift, I'll tell, I'll tell Teresa and said that you, it's, it's okay. And, and uh, I'll go by shopping tonight. You need four E units for protection power. Exactly. No. And, and that was a, a thing. And like the daylights, if you want, they had specific freight engines that were, protection power and some of them even got the fancy dancy daylight scheme so that they would look the part if they got called into service later on they decided that it wasn't worth it but you know they so they would just have a freight locomotive but it would have the steam generators or the or the passenger equipment that they could throw on there in an emergency that's a great idea i have never done that i appreciate it see i learned something today (laughs) and i'm a little hurt the central Minnesota, the passenger uh, waybills and car cards are all tan because that's what Teresa had in her paper stock when I was look, hunting down stuff to make new car cards. So mine are different colors. What is passenger power on your central of Minnesota? Uh, I have some steam generator equipped F units, and then I have the uh, Erie built and an FTB unit that goes along with that. And then any of the steam engines, obviously, but we don't don't run steam passenger power anymore. Oh, they're so okay. So I've, I've never seen. So all your passengers have the uh, newer diesel. Yeah, and then the connection to St. Paul either is an SD7 or lately I've been running an Atlas Jeep Seven with steam generator equipment in the short hood. And I think that's a neat point too: is that you do not need the squeezed from the tube streamliners for passengers. There's Jeeps. There's other things like that. Some yep. you know, dual purpose engines all the way up to the SDP 40s and 45s. Well, the Great Northern, I know that's your favorite railroad, Tom. You had the NW3s and the NW5s. I mean, they were basically switch engines with, you know, the switch engine hood. And they had steam generator equipment on them. And they would go and trundle along the branch lines with mixed trains with freight cars and passenger cars in them. You know, daily, they would go out to Hutchinson or or, um, from St. Cloud to Brook Park or whatever. Anything else you guys think of or want to mention? From layouts you've operated on, good, bad, different? Uh, in the Twin Cities here, Mark Amfars, he runs a lot of UP passenger trains. Will Tabnapis says that Toledo, and he's all passengers, he has not a freight car on his layout. Yeah, that's true. Right. And then you mentioned Mike Mayer. I mm-hmm. think every just about everybody runs passenger trains. If they're operating in the 50s, most of them run passenger trains, if nothing else is scenery. Right. Um, Tom Hokinson has some. Nice long passenger trains too, and, and some really a, neat switching too. Yeah, and, and he's got so a I great. I think it's mail. alive and well. It's alive and well, right? Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Greg Hippen runs a bunch of passenger trains. He runs commuter stuff too. What does he model for people who don't uh, know Greg? The Penzi, of course. Well, yeah, it's either that or Great Northern around here, that's, right? That's the two things you're or Santa Fe. So yeah, so they can't be yeah, so, more than scenery, is what I think we're all saying, and that right. Because we're we're all attracted to 
layouts with operations with really you know good and clever schemes that have been thought out and, and have a good backstory as you know Dan Dose always says what's your story it's interesting when they can add the passenger train to the story that's not just scenery yep I agree with you 100% it really adds to it and it adds you know for me modeling the 50s it adds to the flavor because that's how you got around in the 50s was by train do you think it's easier to model passenger trains when you model the earlier era because of the prevalence? Well, yeah, well, there's better better equipment, more yeah. different equipment. You know, with Amtrak, train in California is the same as the train in Florida. So. Yeah, that is true. Well, all right. I think we'll wrap that up on passenger ops. It was a good discussion, positive. We talked about a lot of things we can add. We're going to add semaphores at, <laughs> at uh, what do we call it? flag stops. You can, a lot of equipment available, work on your staging, have some protection power. Even if you have a doodle bug, you can put some additions to your switching and even Amtrak streamliners. Try and find a place where you model and what what went through there and add the passenger trains to your story. Does that sound good? I like it. Yep. You like it. All right. Well, thank you guys. And we'll wrap up this episode of the podcast and thank everyone for listening. So good night, everybody. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night. been listening to the crossing game the official podcast of the twin cities division you can find us on facebook in our group the twin cities division of the nmra you can email us at tcdnmra at gmail.com thank you for listening and don't forget to subscribe for future podcasts yeah i don't even want to think about it i want to go to go out stupid and wake up dumber yeah. That happens to me every night. Yeah, I don't need yeah, a surgery. Much, for that. yeah, much, yeah. That's my afternoon nap. You know? <laughs> the, you, you've got to use that one. <laughs> yeah. I thought the last podcast we had where uh where where, where Dan was talking about some psychology term and he says, you know, Tom, like you and I were discussing, and I thought to myself. I'm gauged making having deep theoretical psychological conversations. That's interesting. I nod and smile a lot when Dan talks. I just he buys me a bagel and I I take it. Yeah. You're you're more the patient mode than the doctor mode. (laughs) I am. It hurts when I do this. (laughs) Yeah. So don't do that. This episode of the Crossing Gate podcast is sponsored by Human City Junction YouTube channel. Heath, that's right, Heath, at Human City Junction. And Z scale. Just a Z scale. You can watch every scale except S. How come there's no S? Okay. Do you want to see every piece of model railroad electronics possible? <laughs> Let me try that again. I watched him do this. Okay. (laughs) Then go up in blue smoke. (laughs) Then watch Heath at Human City Junction. Where it takes three hours to open one box. (laughs) Seriously? Okay. Heath has hands-free operation with the Ohio Scaled Engineering Motorman circuits. 
a plywood plywood Pacific, a plywood Pacific that took five months to make the track. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> it's only because I've seen this podcast. Anyway. Um, <clears throat> A plywood Pacific that took. <laughs> I can't say this without laughing. <laughs> oh, sorry, Heath. And none of them show his good side. Okay, that's kind of mean. <laughs> he wrote it. <laughs> Come on, Heath. You kind of think you're kind of cute. Okay. Subscribe to Human City Junction. Hey, I might be there. I'll say hi to you, too. Human City 